0: Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and as always, I'm here to have conversations and hear stories with the real people and real businesses and understand how love might be a part of how they operate. My guest today has developed a methodology called Think, Talk, and Behave, and it enables organizations to translate their values into practical and tangible working practices. She designed her playbook as a way to inspire value-centered leadership and ignite employee engagement in a measurable way. So I'd like to welcome to the show founder and CEO of Bensuda Consulting, Janine Bensuda. Janine, how are you today?
1: Oh, I'm doing great, especially after that beautiful introduction. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, we talked a little bit before hitting record here, and I'm just so excited um, to, to dive into all the things to talk about. Um, but before I get too deep into uh, your your framework and the, what you've come up with over the last eight years, um, I just want to hear about you first. So if you don't yeah. mind, can you share the journey to your, I guess, passion?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, a little bit about me. Um, I'm a mother of three. I've got a teenage son. Uh, well, actually, two teenage kids: a 16-year-old and 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 a 13-year-old daughter, um, and a little baby angel. And um, I, my background is very eclectic. Um, originally from Morocco, but I was born in Gambia and I was raised all over the world and worked in a, over 30 countries. So, my my journey and my relationship with with kind of love and leadership really started at a very young age when i look back at it because i remember every time we would move countries i just wanted to feel like i belonged and so you know i'd be kind of rushing out to find ways to connect with people and, and, um, you know, I would either look different, speak different, have a weird accent, or there was always something that people couldn't put me in that box. And um, the way that I would work around that would be through music and performing arts. And I realized that um, when you kind of really connect with people at an emotional level, that's where I was able to really build relationships, even when I couldn't speak the language or didn't necessarily look like everybody else or didn't carry the same passport. And so I guess from a very young age, I realized the value of, emotional connections with people being really instrumental to being feeling like you belong and therefore being able to connect with a community and that was for me it was a matter of life or death because it was survival it wasn't you know something I was just doing as a profession it was how I could exist in in the world you know Mm -hmm. find and find my place so um so I, I was taught by, you know, by teachers of all kinds of ethnicities and backgrounds from from um, in, in English and Arabic and French. And I, as, as I grew up, I thought mm, my original wish was actually to be a performer. I wanted to be on Broadway. That was like my, my goal. And, and when I was young, I, I loved singing. I loved um, performing. However, I was growing up in the Middle East and that wasn't really a an established industry at that time and and neither was it in my family to be honest because (laughs) there were more expectations on doing a quote-unquote traditional type of a career so um, when I got older and it was time to go to university I was like ah I can't do you know I can't go and study opera or although I, I did study opera up to a certain level while I was at school but not at college. Then I said, okay, what I'd like to do is then I'll be a, a reporter. I'll be a journalist and travel the world and tell people's story. Because again, there, the focus is on connecting with people, listening to people, and then, you know, helping them to tell their story to, to the world. Um, and that didn't work out for a whole bunch of reasons. And can you, Am I'm going to ask you this question for somebody like me, what is what kind of the most remote type of a profession you would ever see me going into like you know the farthest place for somebody who wants to be on on broadway and interacting with people and behind a camera and and, and in the limelight what would you say
0: um maybe like accounting or,
1: <laughs> exactly exactly
0: <or laughs> something so, <laughs> on a desk uh, bingo
1: so that's where I ended up. there's a there's a <laughs> there's a powerful story behind how, right? and And it had to do with a decision I made because of love for my family, um, and a situation that we were going through where my mom's health was at risk. and i'm I'm the oldest of five, and I was I'm all, the, all I was kind of the only adult child in the family. And so, Rather than continue my, to pursue um, my postgraduate degrees in journalism and you, you know um, economics that I was that I was going to do, I I decided to stay in Dubai, which was where my parents were living, at, my family was at the at the time, and take on a job at Citibank. <laughs> so
0: wow, so smart so, on
1: you were spot on so suddenly this you know person who thought she's going to be bouncing around the world telling stories ended up behind a desk and um but but I was I was I was okay with my decision because that decision was made out of love and therefore it was meaningful to me and then I took it on as a challenge and said well you know what if I can't take if I can't put myself in that career then is there a way to bring a emotional connection, performing arts, communication, love into what I do. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of where it started. And my journey over the next, um, especially the first decade of my life, is really significant in helping me understand that if you can bring love into an environment like Kind of corporate banking in those days you know which was in the early 2000s and actually the, the ninth the late 90s and early 2000s then then there is definitely potential to change the world with this
0: amazing and give me an example of like <laughs> what how you did i mean the the late 90s and early 2000s um as i recall um were even more so i mean we were so far from how we're talking about it now so what what did that look like to try to fit that into that that, that square peg in that round hole?
1: Right. I'll give you an example. Um, when I joined Citibank, this was this was the, a clue that was picked up uh, by the um, kind of the talent development team, um, which then led to me um, getting involved in some very important projects. What happened was I joined in the summer, and in the summer, typically in Dubai. If you've ever been to the Middle East in the summer, nobody wants to be there in the summer because it is excruciatingly hot. And you and me are both standing in Houston and we know what heat is. Yes. That is nothing compared to. <laughs> wait, OK, so everybody in their rightful mind packs up and leaves. So I came into the I joined the office. and I was like, hey, everybody. And I was like, OK, bye. I'm going. Here's here's my work. Can you please follow up on all these things? And literally one after the other, the entire they, they put posted me in marketing. One after the other, everybody started dumping their, their uh, deliverables on me and like for follow up over the summer. said, We're off for four weeks. I'm off for four weeks. I'm off for three weeks. So suddenly I looked around and I was like, okay, so it's like me and the mail guy. <laughs> and that's the marketing department for the next month or so. And I, this is my first job and I'd rather be singing. So um, what happened was, I realized that um, what I I said, okay, I gotta leverage what I have, and what I have is an ability to communicate with people and to tell stories, because remember, journalism, performer, what a performer is all about—they're about entertaining you through a story. So I said, okay, use what I've got. I used those skills to um, to to basically pick up on the projects that everyone left in my lap. Lap. And lo and behold, a lot of those involved working with third-party vendors like advertising agencies and other departments within the bank. And what I found was, it, this was not, you know, like anything deliberate. It was like kind of a lucky chance. But I realized that uh, somehow I was able to understand what people needed and help them tell their stories better. So by the time the marketing bonafide marketing department started to return, they were starting to hear positive feedback about how their their, their projects were, were going well and people were pretty satisfied. They understood what was happening. They were Their needs were being met, mainly because I was nervous that I was going to screw everything up. So I was talking to people, you know, like reaching out to people frequently, asking questions and, and really measuring how they were feeling about things. And by asking them how they were feeling, I started to get different answers. So people saying, well, you know, I feel like we could do a lot better here because, you know, nobody really considers this, this, these comments that we get from the customer, and I was just diligently writing everything down and bringing everything back, and and kind of almost, um, uh, you know, like just being almost obsessive about about uh, using people's feedback and really looking at every word that everybody was saying, hmm. and it turns out that listening to people and caring about what they say is actually important in a company and can actually help you make more informed decisions that have a bigger impact. Now this is, you know, this is a fifty-year-old me telling you this about a twenty-year-old me, you know. So I have all I have all the hindsight now of and of, and and all of the benefit of learning from all the great people who've written and researched about this, um, including yourselves at at uh, at Softway. So I. That was kind of how it worked out that I started. And then I was thrown into a project to um, to, to manage a, a regional project for, for uh, 13 different countries in Asia Pacific and get everybody to arrive at a, at a decision on how a model for, for, for something in the contact center should be. And that was my first experience at basically kind of having a seat at a almost like a United Nations table, you know, like you put Hong Kong, Guam, India, um, Pakistan, uh, Malaysia, Singapore together, and you, you understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion, what that means before diversity, equity, and inclusion became a thing um, and became an actual you know method that, that companies have to, to, to apl- apply and abide by. But then it was again, survival mode, we've got a business objective how are we going to get, you know, 13 countries with such diverse needs, modes of communication to actually come to an agreement that people feel confident about. And that is still in the best interest of, of the business, you know, and can deliver results. So I, I was thrown into the deep end very yeah. quickly. I see that. <laughs> it's yeah, a absolutely. survival mode.
0: <laughs> so fast forward with me then now to, I believe around eight years ago or more, yeah. And you embarked on developing what you call "think, talk, and behave." Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I realized over fa- if I fast forward the kind of fifteen years from Citibank, I joined another bank, which was pivotal in my car- in my career as a leader because I didn't realize that I had leadership skills really until until then, again, kind of by accident, but I was thrown into a leadership role where I had to run a contact center, and um, there were already 50 people there, and um, there were some very important lessons that I learned there that then sparked my curiosity. Uh, What happened was, you know how in your book, um, Love is a Business Strategy, you talk about um, the, 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 you know, the, the darkest day <laughs> mm-hmm. when you had to let go of like almost a third of, of the organization. And I experienced also kind of a darkest day while I was at that, um, um, at that leadership role at, at another bank in Dubai, uh, where we had to, um, where I was kind of, th- I was thrust into a, an organization where I walked in, I was pretty young, and nobody really uh, understood why I was there. And I had zero experience, I had like a few years of experience. So I, I, I didn't have any, cre- I, I felt I didn't have any credibility. What I found was that um, by building a team, again, based on some of the key love foundations, like listening, compassion, empathy, um, making people, helping people to feel secure, you know, their psychological safety um, and inspired and basically having fun, we were able to create some incredible results. So I then became curious about is this something unique to do with either banking as an industry or the Middle East as a part of the world? So I joined a consulting firm and that's when I did a lot of travel, really about, about 30 countries. And, 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 and all over the world, in the different organizations, I noticed some familiar and common challenges that, that organizations were facing, and that was this gap between the vision of the leaders and these objectives that they were that they wanted to accomplish, and the, the team's daily operating goals and how how happy people felt and how loved they felt or how unloved they felt, and. Although this language wasn't cool, you know, to use at the time, I was starting to notice some familiarities between um, the way people were being treated uh, and their performance, um, how well they understood their objectives and their their and their performance, um, how much they were encouraged to speak their truth, and their ability to innovate. And so I started to peel the layers and take notes, and and I realized that I wanted to really understand a bit more about. Um, you know brands and the va- and and brand identity and why is it so difficult for that identity to translate into the organization? Why are the staff so confused about their role in in the organization? So I, I worked at Ogilvy, and when when I when I worked at Ogilvy and worked on some great accounts, you know, like American Express and DHL and Dove and um, Fahe and you know, I realized that there was there was a communication gap that was tra- that, that was missing between the some of the intangible words and values words like love and how that related to measurable daily working practice and that's when i realized that i would like to spend time developing a model that could help us translate words and values like love and transparency and innovation into measurable ways that people in an organization think which could be translated into aspects like policy procedure decision making and prioritization that is tangible and that you can that can be documented and referenced right And then into the way we speak, because as you and I really know very well, that if you walk into a meeting at a company and you'd listen in for a minute, you can start to get a sense of the culture. If you walk into a meeting and people are saying things like, that's awesome. What do you think, Jeff? Hey, we haven't heard from Janine. What does she think? Oh, awesome idea. Did we think about this differently? Who have we left out of this? is very different, going to give you a very different vibe from walk, than walking into an organization where, first of all, it's mainly silent and only certain characters are speaking and where people are looking at each other and there's an energy and people are asking questions like, what do you mean? Uh, that's not how we do things. Um, well, we've always done this before. Immediately, you can tell a lot. Yeah. So there's the talk and then the third part is behave. And the behavior is reflected in both the human behavior and interactions with each other, with each other, as well as the the uh, organization behavior, which can be translated into things like your processes and how are your processes designed and structured. Because, like you talk about, you know, that culture eats some strategy. A strategy eats culture. I can't remember where you said it, but <laughs> but so, culture eats something for lunch.
0: Yes, <laughs> it's. Uh... It's, it's, it's culture eats strategy for breakfast is the, is the famous saying.
1: Yes. And right? then you, sorry, and then you added to that behavior yes. eats culture for lunch. Right. Yes, correct. So, right. So in behavior, I knew there was eating and there was
0: yes. some We're words. Big on eating, yes.
1: <laughs> so the behavior is really where every day, daily actions that people take make a difference. Okay. So that's the third part of think, talk and behave.
0: That's awesome. And. You're speaking my language obviously i think there's we, we knew coming into this that we'd be aligned on so many of these ideas but i'm curious what um kind of you call it a i guess a methodology or help me understand like how think talk and behave uh, manifests as a practice or as a like how do you measure these things how do you tangibly turn these into like how do you bring this forth to a business
1: that's a great question. Uh, there, there are two parts to it. There's the setting the whole thing up, which is basically the translation process. We'll call that part one. And then the part two is the maintenance and governance of this, which is kind of how it becomes a part of the just the daily um, operating model and how it's continuously improved and you know, how you keep the Kaizen in there. So part one, which is the most difficult part. That's the moment where you go in and say, "Guys, what do we actually mean by love?" Okay. Now, you, um, you, love is a business strategy. You have you have six categories that you've just defined um, for how love can translate, um, and one. It, it's so it's kind of like getting into that space where you're in in a workshop mode. The way that this methodology, think, talk, behave, works is that it slices the organization by department so that it can get to a very specific and relevant conversation around my daily work as an accountant versus my daily work as somebody in procurement versus somebody who works in legal versus one who somebody who works in sales because my objectives and uh performance goals and my processes and the the the, the policies that i use are very different depending on what my functional area is and that's where i found when i would work in you know the you know, over 150 organizations that, that I went into and looked at, this is where I would find it, that, that the, the argument or the, the, the idea would start to crumble was everybody could understand it at a generic level that we get that we need to be customer focused and we get that we need to be transparent. But then the, the guy in, in accounting would be like, I get it, but I don't actually really know what I need to do differently tomorrow. Like when I produce this report or when I do this daily data entry mm-hmm. and then you go to marketing and they're like, I get it as well. But what do I change about the way I do my, you know, my budgeting today? So this, the, the way that this method works is it starts, it, it goes top down and bottoms up At top down first to understand at the highest level. What is the organ- What is the organization willing to put their money where their mouth is? Like, and this is where you have the hard conversations with the CEOs, and I've had many of those where CEOs will say are saying something, but they're really doing something. And Brian Curie from Gallup uh, produced a great report, and Harvard Business Review um, wrote about this in an article called "The Wrong Ways to Strengthen Culture," which was really powerful. He Brian Curie calls it the "Say Do Gap," and and apparently. of employees do not understand what their leadership mean by their or their values. And even worse, of those who understand it, 69% of them don't believe it because they say, "Mm, yeah, that's what they say, but that's not what I'm doing on a daily basis. And that's Mm -hmm. actually called the say-do gap. So these workshops basically are structured. So you, you start with the big question to this leadership and say, what do you really mean by innovation? Because you know, if you mean if, if what you mean by innovation is that you're you're testing out different ideas every day, are you ready for the consequences of that, which means write-offs because they're going to be ideas that don't work? And then how are you going to handle What are the consequences going to be for the staff who came up with those ideas and how are you going to handle the hours that were dedicated to that? So you have those. So once once you have that definition at the at the at the senior level, we then work uh, with each of the different functional areas with a cross section, you know, diverse representation of the people who work in those areas and say, all right, of course, you've done your homework. Take a look at their 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 policies, their processes. So you come to the table with all that and say now. Now that we've understood kind of directionally where this is going, how would this translate into our work in this specific department, given that these are the, our 10 most critical processes, policies, procedures, how would it translate? And then the team themselves have to answer this question. And it can be painful. It's not easy. It takes some time, but the pain is worthwhile because the pain then forces you to actually identify who you are and how you're going to do things. And once you've identified it and are able to articulate it, then you can step back and say, okay, now we can measure this. And this is where the measurement comes in. Because then it's easy. It's like, and we keep it very simple, three points, either, yeah, we're already doing that today, or we're not doing it, but we are in the process of changing to and moving towards that, or no, we're not doing it and I hadn't thought about it. And that then allows us to give you some pretty graphs and some pretty representations and and summaries of how close are you and aligned with which values across which person. You can cut it so many different ways. Those become great dashboards to help you quickly um, get a sense of where the biggest pain points are, and then you can go in. So those are two of the most critical outputs of those workshops is first, the clarity and definition of how it translates into think, talk, behave, and secondly, a measurement of where we are vis-a-vis that. So that's the part one.
0: The w- when, you, when you're measuring the things that they're doing and working on and not doing, is that off of like a, a list of criteria and questions that you have, or is it something that they decide on in terms of behaviors that they want to do?
1: A a combination of both. So we've developed like a, um, a series, a kind of a, a um, facilitation framework that Mm -hmm. goes through some critical questions that need to be considered. And then based on how those questions are answered, it might veer off different in different directions based on that. Um, So we're asking the questions to find out, um, you know, how best to, to, to then navigate. And then in the workshops uh, there, you know, we've prepared accordingly. So we've, taking a look at you know how are they being measured um what are their k you know their kras and okrs or whatever they're measuring um what is impacting business what's most relevant and then uh, which are the processes that have the biggest impact on that you know gone through kind of all of that who are their clients have we spoken to them not spoken to them put all that together so by the time we get to the workshop um, there's been a lot of homework done to kind of bring all the relevant material to to the table and then um ask those important questions and start to be able to measure.
0: I love it. I think you know, like you mentioned up up top, you know we're, where we talked about the the world being in this state where these types of conversations are necessary and and people are, are looking for these types of changes that they can practically apply. And one of my greatest kind of joys is in doing this show is like finding all the different ways that people are approaching kind of the same larger problems, right? Um, Because we're all trying to create um, just as we say it, you know, bring humanity back to the workplace. Um, And and there's so many ways to tackle that. And I love that how yours is centered kind of around, Stringing together the, the values and the things that that an organization really wants to do and wants to be experienced by the people and, and really Bringing it down from the top and up, like you said, from the bottom into one place where people can actually kind of get a grip on what's actually happening and build that like tangibility is such an important kind of aspect from what I'm hearing
1: yeah, you know, Jeff. One of the um, one of the moments I love the the most is when people walk into these meetings and they're looking at me. I remember like legal teams, um, especially like some of the more um, technical areas, coming in and saying, "Really seriously, I don't have time for these kind of conversations. I don't know what this has to do with me." Like values, you all take care of values. That's like your business. I've like I've got serious work to do. And then by the end of it, like literally being the strongest allies and being mm-hmm. the people who are saying oh my gosh we get this and we see how critical we are to making this happen like they 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 leave their understanding that there's no way the organization can ever truly embrace um, the values and, and deliver and be aligned because it's all about alignment right it's aligning we're, we're not going anywhere and telling anybody who to be we're we're just helping um, provide some tools and frameworks so that people can better articulate who they are and 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 align themselves towards that so they're they're they' they feel like they're pre- creating that um a worthwhile experience and love for me um in all of this because you know we've seen this that leadership, is, is so critical to creating that that environment um, uh, for for to, to to empower people with the give them the mic and allow them to speak up and I see my role very much as a translator I think the most important thing I've ever been able to do um, in my life and I don't you know think that um, I've done anything incredible but I think that translation I'm. I am equally comfortable sitting, you know, like w- rolled up sleeves on the floor, eating off of the same dish, you know, work with, with people in, um, in certain parts of the world and then going up to the boardroom half an hour later and representing them and saying, and saying I know you guys need to hear this in, in, in quantitative terms or you need to hear how this impacts your, uh, you know, X, Y, Z language. However, I need to also let you know how being able to connect and deliver this message to the people who are actually doing it is critical. One of the first things I remember doing when I joined that bank, you know, I was saying after Citibank, I got this this, this job that I, I, it was like way beyond what I was qualified to do. And um, in one of the first meetings, I asked, you know, like, what, what are the problems? And somebody said, the, the leadership don't understand what our customers need. And, you know, and, and, and they're so high up and, and, and just look at the organization chart. And I looked at the organization chart and I suddenly realized something. I looked at this pyramid and I said, hang on a second. There is such a long gap between like the CEO and the customers are at the bottom. I said, why are we putting the customers at the bottom? And we flipped it. And we said, from now on, we are going to show our org chart the opposite way. So we're going to put our customers at the top and what do they need and we're gonna start to design our organization around them. So if they say what they need is, you know, um, on the spot decisions uh, about like if they call up and they have an issue with their credit card, then the first person they speak to needs to have that empowerment. They don't need to spend half an hour, you know, like three days or five days going all the way through the organization to come back. And it it was one of those simple little changes that was a complete paradigm shift in just how I looked at things.
0: Yeah. I think I think more and more leaders and organizations have recognized the upside down pyramid as an important aspect. Yeah. I think a big thing that that I find myself having to work with is that when you flip it upside down it's a little more work and 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 there's still something left to do there besides just saying oh because it, it it coincides with a lot of customer first mentalities that already exist Oh, customers first obviously yeah um but i think what people don't often realize is that flipping the pyramid upside down also means you actually have to put your people first actually you have to put um the kind of the the well-being um the inclusion the inclusion of and the empathy for your your contributors, um, the last eight last row, um, every last one of them has to become kind of the center of all your focus. And I don't know if um, all leadership and organizations understand that fully um, in their quest to satisfy the customer, um, that they kind of miss, they lose sight of that, I think.
1: That's a really good point. And sometimes um, having a tool, what I've found is like, the thing, talk, behave it, where they can measure it, um, is 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 kind of like holding up a mirror, so they're able to to see when that gap is really big and when when they're just not. I mean, think about the Gallup report, right? That um, only thirty, you know, twenty percent of our uh, of global on a global level of employees are engaged, and that means that. If you considered like 3 billion people are actively employed, that means 2.4 billion people are not engaged. Isn't that something to be concerned about? Yeah, Like, you know, they need more love.
0: <laughs> yep. That's why we do what we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think there's so much more to dig into here. Honestly, I, I feel like, um you know, when I think about think, talk and behave, and I look at love as a business strategies like Seneca, which is what we do. It's the equivalent of your your part one of your activation and your right. thing. There's so many ways in which we're, we're very different, but we're very much targeting the same thing. Um, so I think there's there's so much more to dig into that. Uh, but before, um, I guess we say goodbye for today, I did want to leave some space for you to talk about. Um, just in general, I know you've been talking about think, talk and behave, but also just just talking about Binsuda and kind of like what what the listeners, you know, might need to know about you.
1: I thank you so much for that space. Um, the one part of what I do that I haven't had a chance to to discuss right now is that I do a lot of work with youth leaders as well. Um, I believe that you know this you know that is saying going up the value chain. So I believe that going up the value chain is not actually going farther up into the the boardroom. It's actually going to our youth mm. and and reaching them earlier on in their learning journeys and experiences because. I think when they are equipped with more of the language and, and the permission to lead with love and to know that discussing love and caring about another, you know, your your, your classmate is a great sign of leadership, the, the sooner we will have better leaders out there in, in the world. And so I do... I've got a program called um, Future Leaders and we work and there's a there's a kind uh, there's a pro uh, a profit side of it and there's a not for profit side of it. So there's pro bono work that I do there and I do work. I'm very passionate about the pro bono work I do in in in, you know, kind of um, economically challenged environments um, where, you know, by helping give access to opportunities for learning and access to opportunities for internships and and um, just connections with mentors that we are giving one of the most valuable gifts that we can give as people like us, who I I believe, and to a certain extent, we have succeeded in in aspects of our life of realizing, recognizing, and having so many blessings and privileges. So that is something that is very close to my heart and um, that that I do with a great deal of passion. It's a a, uh, youth leadership program um, called the Future Leaders. And um, uh, my my aim is really to build this further into a community that connects uh, our youth with mentors, um learning opportunities and internship opportunities um, all around the world
0: that's amazing i couldn't agree more i love that that idea of the value chain starting with the youth i, <laughs> I, I i'm so on board with that how how can how can people if they're interested in learning more or get involved where, where should they go
1: Yes, absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn, there's a Bensuda Consulting, they can find me, you can find me on Instagram. We also have a website, uh, which is Bensudaconsulting.com um, And also future leaders um, club. And, uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very responsive. And so if you reach out to me on any of the social media, I will definitely get back to you. I, I love collaboration. I like you, Jeff, you know, every time I meet somebody who's doing work in this field, I I get so excited because mm-hmm. I can just taste the future happening and I can just taste this change coming about. And it just means that there's so many different ways that we can collaborate and, and create this economy of scale that is going to, to make, make a huge difference. So thank you awesome. for the great work that, that you and your team are doing.
0: No, thank you. And, and, you know, I'm still here rooting for your broadway career to take
1: home. it's never it's never, <laughs> it's
0: never too late it's never too late that's all i say
1: thank you jeff <laughs> i have one fan
0: <laughs> i'm there for you i'll be the first ticket uh holder.
1: Thank you.
0: and and thank you to our listeners as well thank you for always tuning in and be sure if you have not yet of course check out our book love is a business strategy available such on a great
1: book thank i love you, it
0: but, <laughs> thank you so it's much so
1: honest and so powerful
0: there you have it folks, um, uh, drop a review. That sounds just like that on Amazon. That like, helps us as well. I'm not talking to listeners and also you, Janine. thank you. Okay. Uh, but subscribe and rate our podcast, tell a friend, um, and at the end of the day, you know, don't forget to try to find and tell and, and share with us these stories of love in your life and in your workplace. So with that, Janine, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: And we'll see everybody next week.